You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. The gospel lesson is from Matthew, the fourth chapter, and you will hear place names that you've already heard in both the Old Testament lesson and perhaps themes that you also heard in the epistle lesson. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home by, uh, in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali. So that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From this time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among all the people. This is the word of the Lord. I love the following story, and I suspect some of you have either read it or heard it someplace before. But a man's driving home one evening after work, and we all are creatures of habit, and so we tend to follow the same route home. And so we get to, if we go home at the same time or come in at the same time, we reach a point where we begin to recognize on the road. We don't know who they are, but we recognize that there's cars on the road. So this guy looks back, and there's a car behind him he's never seen before. And he thinks, well, that's okay. You know, there's, it's a big place. There's lots of people. He makes the first turn, and the car follows him. He makes the second turn, and the car follows him. Now, we've all got just a little bit of paranoia somewhere down in our soul. And if you remember... Um, even if you're not, uh, even if, if you uh, aren't quite paranoid, it doesn't mean they really aren't out to get you. So he makes another couple of turns and the car continues to follow. And now he is really becoming concerned. He doesn't know this person. So he says, okay, I'm going to turn into the next subdivision I see. He turns and the car follows. So he drives a little bit and he says, I'm going to turn in the absolute next driveway I see. He surely won't follow me into this driveway. He turns into the driveway and the guy pulls in behind him and stops. So the first guy, the paranoid one, shall we call him, jumps out of the car and says, why are you following me? And the guy says, why are you parking in my driveway? (laughs) The moral of the story is pretty basic. The difference between being a leader and a follower isn't always exactly clear. 
And we have to be careful not only whom we follow, but also where we might lead. Jesus used the words, follow me, seemingly dozens of times in the New Testament. To Peter, to Andrew, to Levi, Matthew, to leave a tax collector's seat. And at one point, Jesus says to his followers who want to do something before they follow, he says, leave the dead to bury the dead and follow me. It's pretty direct to the rich young ruler, sell what you have. That's everything. And come and follow me. So this saying appears at least 20 times, maybe more in the Gospels. And Jesus even uses it after his crucifixion and resurrection at the time of ascension when he's talking to disciples who've already been following him for three years. Deny yourself, take up a cross, follow. That's always part of the language of the New Testament. Jesus' words are clear. They are distinctly personal. The first disciples came one at a time, maybe two at a time. He knew each one. He understood who they were, their occupation. And Jesus, in his own way, had his own particular reason for selecting the folks he selected. And that's why Christ used a different approach, seemingly with every individual, as he seeks them out. Some he finds, some are brought to him by others. And some, like the rich young ruler, are even allowed to walk away because they can't do what's required. We often think of these as conversion passages. And they are, but they are much, much more than just conversion passages because these are also task-oriented passages. If you have never been a Christian before, if you don't know and follow Jesus, then indeed these become conversion passages for you. It's the call to follow. But if you are, and maybe you have been a Christian for decades, it is a call to get up and do the task of the kingdom. It is a mission. We're going to talk a fair about more about mission in the weeks that lie ahead. It is a vocational call. It's the follow-up on the sign and seal of baptism. When Jesus says, follow me, it cuts through all the maze of ideas that we may have about who this Jesus is and maybe what he wants. One group doesn't get to place itself over against another group. It does not recognize rank. It does not recognize privilege. In the words of Ernest Campbell, it's tall enough and deep enough to guide the church in the worst of times. The first thing I want us to take note of is that when somebody says, follow me, they have a direction and a purpose in mind. We are so skeptical of the human leadership in our world today. How hard it is to know if our human leaders really are worthy or if the methods they're using are worthy to follow. You don't have to be a political science major to know how badly fractured we have been as a nation. And sadly, 
It seems that either side will use whatever is at their disposal to discredit the other, even if it hurts all of us. What a, sad, what a sad state that is when we talk about leadership. We say it in our brief statement of faith, we accept lies as truth. And too often we do. But I won't tell you, it's not just in the politics of a nation. The church isn't immune either. Over the past several years, I've worked directly with at least five different churches, all of which thought that they were caught up in the debate over changing morals within the church and society. But what they were really caught up in was the fact that they had been fed a group of lies and half-truths and innuendo in an attempt to convince them to leave the fellowship of the church. That was the core. And two out of the five are gone. If we're going to follow leaders, whether it's in church or in nation, doesn't it make sense to have some idea about what the leader really wants to accomplish? Now, certainly we need direction, but we need to know that it's worthy of our trust and our loyalty. And that's the one thing we have as Christians if we understand that we are following not somebody else, but Jesus. You're not members of this congregation. You are not folks who visit in this congregation because you want to follow Tom. If you are, go someplace else. Because we're all in trouble. You're here because you want to follow Jesus. And some days I may get in the way of Jesus. And if I do, you need to make sure I know it. Follow me. It's the promise of somebody who knows where they're going. Another story not that different from the first. Years ago, Karen and I were taking a vacation. It was just after she graduated nursing school. And so we were traveling with uh, two of her maiden aunts from uh, Jamaica, Queens, New York. And we were leaving Florida and we were driving to the city. We were going to stop off in D.C. for a little while. And then we were going to go and spend a week or so in New York. So we're driving along and we're up in Virginia and I'm driving and I look in the rearview mirror and I can see a New York tag in the car right behind me. So, the car follows as we make turns. Sound familiar? We're planning to stop at several of the memorials and monuments in D.C. We're not going to take much of a day, but part of a day. The car follows. We turn off the normal beltway to get around the city, and the car follows. Finally, when we turn into the Jefferson Memorial and get out of the car, the guy realizes this is not the people I want to be following. Because it's pretty clear they're not going straight through to New York. You've seen the bumper sticker, perhaps. It says, don't follow me, I'm lost. 
And that's the problem for us often. We will follow anyone who seems to be in a position of authority, even if we have evidence they don't know what they're doing. When Jesus says, follow me, there's no danger of getting lost. He has a plan, a work to do, a purpose to achieve, and he wants us to be a part of it. It's the word that we translate as follow really is a part of the same word that means road. We share the same road, the same direction. We go where the king wants us to go. But it also seems to me that anybody who says follow me as Jesus does is more interested in the future than in the past. We spend an awful lot of time as human beings worrying about all the things we didn't do or didn't accomplish or things that didn't go the way we wanted them to. We need to have a certain kind of loyalty with the future. With Jesus, it's not where you've been that matters, it's where you're going to be. It's not that you're fallen, it's that you've been forgiven. It's not what you did in the past that was wrong, it's what you want to do into the future. If you look at the pages of the New Testament, you will see how little time Jesus ever spent asking anybody about their past. The famous or infamous text in John of the woman taken in adultery, and Jesus doesn't do anything about trying to find out why. All he says is, go and sin no more. Nicodemus comes to him under the cover of darkness because he's afraid to come openly, and Jesus says, be born again. Or really, it's be born from above. In the parable of the prodigal son, the one who runs away and wastes everything, comes home from the far country, and he's given that signet ring we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and clothes, and the fatted calf is killed, and they have a party. To be truly sorry for sin is to be forgiven. Don't we believe it? To be forgiven is to rise up and follow. When Jesus says, follow me, our past doesn't matter. You can't change it. You cannot change what has been. And Christ never asks us to. Leave the past behind. Go with him into the future. Now, that's not to say you're not going to fall again or fail again or make a mistake again, because you surely are, don't we always? Jesus doesn't declare us perfect. We're just followers. We're folk who, to the best of our ability, are seeking to follow this leader who would take us places. If you wait till you're good enough to get started, you're never going to get started. So you might as well start now. T.N. Manson is a New Testament scholar, and he says, the living Christ still has two hands, one to point the way and the other held out to help us along the way. So the Christian ideal that lies before us is not that remote mountain peak of perfection. 
It is not something we scale by our own effort and endurance. It is the road we walk along with the friend who guides us, the one who's with us even until the end of the age. One last thing about following. If we're really following with Jesus, if we give our allegiance there, we have a norm by which to test our following. When Jesus calls us to follow, he always calls us in who we already are, in our personality, in all those things that make us an individual. Jesus doesn't call all of us to do the same things, to look the same, to say the same. He calls us to be a part of the greater body and to be a part of the following, not little robots. We're not supposed to be. There is a distance between Lord and servant so that our selfhood, our integrity is maintained. We're not going to all look alike. We're not going to follow in exactly the same way. We are who we are. That's what Christian living is supposed to be about whether we're speaking about individuals or whether we're talking about an entire church. Follow me is the phrase that ought to be considered before we do anything else. It should monitor what we say and what we think. Whether we're elders sitting in a session meeting, whether we're congregants sitting in a worship service, whether we're a group gathered around the coffee pot and we begin to <clears throat> talk about somebody else. We may not always agree exactly, but what we can do is agree that we all in our own way are caught up in the following. That's the unity Paul's talking about. Those who want unity to make us all be identical are kidding themselves. The church has never been that. Some of you may know the name Archibald Rutledge. He was a poet laureate of uh, the state of South Carolina and an educator. He's dead now. But in his writings, this would have been mid-20th century. He tells the story of a, of a black woman, a widow of a black minister in the community, who was always doing something for the poor, the misfortunate, the homeless, mostly, of course, within her own black community. Any neglected child got brought into where she lived. And so Rutledge, who was a man of some means, decides he wants to do something for this woman, so he builds a little house for her on his own property and gives it to her. It is hers to live in as long as she lives. To his horror, the first thing she does is she invites the most disreputable woman in the community to come and live with her. And Rutledge just doesn't understand this at all. And he says, how can you invite this creature into your nice new home? And she says, because Jesus would have. How do you argue with that? Because Jesus would have. That's following. 
It doesn't matter whether what we do is profitable in the way the world thinks of it being profitable. It doesn't matter whether it's popular or practical or even realistic. Sometimes Christians have to act in the most unrealistic way imaginable in order to convey who we are as Christians. All that matters is that what we're doing can be understood as following Jesus. I hope that we have all come to understand that if the church does not speak out on matters that, that affect the very existence of the poor and the disenfranchised, who will? If the church does not care for human beings who are created in the image of God, even those we find the most disreputable, who will? The trouble with the church is not that the church takes stands. The trouble too often with the church is that we take the wrong kind of stands. We need to be reminded that there is only one Lord and head of the church and it's the Jesus who invites us to follow along. If the church gives its loyalty to any cause that does not follow Jesus' instructions to follow, then we're not following. But if the church does not risk itself and that means risk its popularity, being misunderstood, risk its very life to answer Christ's call to meet the needs of humanity, then we are among all the most to be pitied. If I understand the New Testament correctly, I think the church is being called to take risk. Even the risk of deeply failing. For to risk and fail is better than to never risk at all. But we don't do that. We measure the cost. We're very careful in how we do we can't afford, we think, to make the mistake that will let people look at us and say, oh, look at the mistake they made. If you're going to sin, sin boldly. Come on. If we're being called to follow Jesus, let's follow Jesus. So Jesus says, follow me. We've got a master. We can't have two. So it comes down to that great and wonderful passage out of the Old Testament that says, choose you this day who you will serve. Jesus says, follow me. And that's our call as Christians, to follow where we are being taken. Are we willing? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. 
For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.